Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. This episode is recorded on Sunday, March 4th, 2018, starting at 10.06 p.m. in Denver, Colorado, and this is the 147th episode of the show. For more information about how to subscribe to the podcast and help support the production of future episodes by becoming a patron, please visit theastrologypodcast.com slash subscribe. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with Rick Levine about a recent controversy in the astrological community surrounding an attack on the sidereal zodiac. Uh, hi, Rick. Welcome back to the show. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, I think it's been about, what, a year and a half, almost two years since we did our last episode, which was on uh, writing sort of a, a sun sign column, right? It's true. It's true. All right. Brilliant. Well, so let's see how to how to approach this i'm trying to figure out so you recently got back from a major trip to india where you attended uh an, an astrological conference there a major international astrological conference right that is correct this was sponsored by the krishnamurti institute of astrology uh an institution that actually has over 20,000 graduates of astrology and this was their 28th annual conference but it was only the second time that they actually called it international and invited people from all over the world to have an, uh, a more of an open forum. Uh, it's a very new venture for them, for their students to be looking at or studying uh, Western tropical astrology. Right. So there were uh, dozens of, of different speakers then that came in from different countries and different Western countries. I know there was a bunch. There were about 40, I think. My number may be plus or minus five, but from uh, South Africa, from Israel, from Russia, Turkey, Iran, um, all over Europe, uh, all over South America and the United States and Canada. So it was quite an international crew. Sure. And the the director of the conference, Gopal, uh, he was like the primary organizer, right? Yeah, he he is the um, uh, founder of the um, school, and he runs the conference. It's that it's it's his puppy. He's he's the main man. He is the um, he he is the uh, teacher, the the lead of um, in that school. Yes, okay. highly highly venerated. His students absolutely um, uh, love him like a guru, which he is in effect in India, I would imagine. Sure. So, and the the conference itself, so I'm sure a lot of stuff happened there and it was a, an interesting experience from a number of different angles, especially with so many different talks taking place during the course of it. But um, after the fact, most of the the news and discussion that came out of the conference in terms of, you know, from from my perspective where I didn't attend it and I was hanging out back here in Denver at the time, and I started hearing pretty quickly at some point around the middle of the conference posts on Facebook and kind of um, outrage that there was this talk that one of the Western astrologers gave that was an attack on the sidereal zodiac, and then that quickly became it seemed like the primary thing that a lot of people were talking about um, in the aftermath of the conference. It that that's true for most people. For me, there was another. Um, there, there was another story, and that is that um, everyone who participated, everyone who spoke, had to submit a three to five thousand word uh, article for the conference proceedings. And um, and the first day of the conference, I was awarded the best article submitted, which was a total surprise to me. And the last day of the conference, they give an award every year, which they call the International Astrologer of the Year. 
and it's the person who gives the best talk, and I won that too. So I have a slightly different take on this conference because I went without even realizing there was any sort of competition. I just don't care about that much, and yet um, I was I was highly recognized. And and however, I'm not trying to change I'm not trying to change any subject or anything. After the conference, the story was not about me. It was about um, Glenn Perry, who gave one of the talks, and um, and it and and it did not go over well. Right. No. I mean, that's actually a really good context. I forgot that. That's you know part of the context is that you know that award happened a, a few years ago, and I believe it was Sharon um, Sharon Knight Sharon Knight who from, won from it from the UK. Yes. Right, who won that award at their their last conference a few years ago? But you basically won like the astrologer of the of the year award or, or or something to that effect. Yes, and and so from that standpoint, you know, I left kind of you know amazed and a little bit shocked and certainly pleased about that. But quite frankly, this whole Glenn Perry scenario um, overtook whatever it was that I had going on. And there was a lot of um, a, a lot of pomp and circumstance throughout this whole conference. It was um, a little bit of 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 how they just how they did it. And the only reason why I'm mentioning this is that for each individual plenary session, they had a dais where there were about ten or twelve uh, uh, astrologers who were speakers at the conference who were invited to be recognized and sit at the dais during the talk. And it just so happens that I was sitting at the dais um, with um, Emma Currant on one side of me and uh, Roy Gillett, um, the president of the Astrological Association of Great Britain, on the other side and Lynn Bell next to him. So Lynn Bell, Roy Gillett, and I were sitting in a row and as Glenn got into his talk and by the end of it, we were – and there's a video of this and and it actually shows – I don't know that it shows Lynn, but the three of us were quite um, upset and made more horrified, just like, oh my god, you know? And so – and there was right. no hiding it. We were just sitting there listening to the talk like everyone else, you know, right. going, is he really saying this? Yeah, I mean, and that was the, that's actually the hilarious part. If you if you watch the video, once they did release it, the organizers released the video after some people you know asked to see it in order to understand, myself included, what had actually happened. And that's one of the funniest things about the video is just seeing like your reaction or and Roy Gillett's reaction because this Western astrologer who has this history of causing controversy and like uh, strife sometimes in the astrological community. Got up and basically gave a lecture on how the tropical zodiac is the one true zodiac, and the sidereal zodiac has absolutely no value or meaning, and and never did, and was a total mistake. And then in the video, you can literally like watch you you guys' expressions sitting down below the the screen as this is going on. So you actually watched and were present for and and watched this happen, sort of like in slow motion as it was taking place this lecture that everyone was talking about and i thought that would actually be you know that's one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you about it because you had that perspective being right there at the conference so and it's not just that but you you've also been privy to other 
for, for some weird reason, you've actually been there. Correct. When things like this have happened previously. It's not the first time that I was in the room where Glenn um, did something that created um, uh, a situation. And we'll get into that a little bit later, I would imagine. Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk about the India one first and what happened recently, and then maybe go back and talk about some, some previous instances in the past in order to provide some context. So where should we start? I mean, you guys all presented i mean i mean should we give a synopsis of the talk or or what would be a good starting point in order to broach this topic well i i think that it it's everybody who spoke it was it was i say it was ted like meaning that in the ted talks everyone has 18 or 20 minutes to give a talk in this everyone had a half hour it was just didn't matter who you were where you came from everyone gave a one half hour talk a single one half hour talk and right. Um, and many of them were many of them were really excellent, and I would say that some of them were even more. I don't want to say controversial, but uh, yeah, were, could have been more controversial than Glenn's. And it wasn't what he was saying; it was the way in which he said it, and the mm, uh, the authority that he couched the presentation in in a way that he apparently believes is true and just matter of fact and that's the way it was and that's part of the problem right i mean because he you know in india i guess part of the context if people don't know this the sidereal zodiac the, the vast vast majority of indian astrologers use the sidereal zodiac and and basically have been using the sidereal zodiac for about at least 2000 years now Correct. So he was basically speaking to and and what was the composition of the audience like? I mean, this was a room basically packed full of Indian astrologers, right? Yeah, yeah. The the forty or so Westerners were the exception. Um, I don't know the exact number um, at different points in the conference. There were different numbers of people there, um, but there were um, there, there were hundreds, if not a thousand people. Um, and my numbers may be slightly off because they were in a couple of different auditoriums. Um, but it was, but it was, there was a lot of people and they were mostly, um, students, um, at, uh, at the KIA, at the Krishnamurti, Krishnamurti Institute of Astrology and other, um, practitioners in India. And I actually met, there were people there from neighboring, from, um, from, uh, Nepal and perhaps some other places. Um, but most of the people there were practitioners of Vedic astrology. Understand that this was the 28th International Vedic Astrology, International Vedic Astrology Conference. So, um, so the dialogue and the information from the Western astrologers um, is relatively new to them. I'm sure that some of them have had it for for a while and some even for years and some have begun studying Western or tropical astrology at the school itself, but that's very new. So that's right. Most of the audience there were um, were not practitioners of Western psychological, spiritual, evolutionary astrology, however humanistic, whatever words you might want to use, or for that matter – even practitioners of any of the Western traditions from the 
um, Hellenistic to the medieval, um, you know, up through, um, you know, the uh, uh, post-Middle Ages. Uh, This was not the the astrology that they were practicing. Sure, sure. And so, and Glenn basically got up there and gave a 30-minute lecture where he said in no uncertain terms that the, the sidereal zodiac had no value uh, and that it was essentially a, a mistake. Uh, he used the word, I think, um, a ghost or a vestige. Um, but but, but I, I think it's from the very, very first sentence of his lecture or from the very first sentences, he started off with something that I feel was the first problem in his talk and I'm not sure we want to you know, talk about his talk or talk about the essence of the what the results were. But his basic underlying um, assumption at the very beginning of his talk came from uh, what he credited to Aristotle, and that was one cannot be and one cannot be and not be simultaneously. That mm. that something either is or isn't. But it can't have two states contrary simultaneously, and and it was this Aristotelian logic that he then said. Therefore, we can't have two separate zodiacs describing the same signs that have different, um, you know, uh, different places. And therefore, it can either be one or the other. It can't be both, and no one wants to acknowledge that. But that's the way it is. And that's where he started. Right. I mean, he basically said, uh, or, or he like raised the question because at first it was like a it was like a rhetorical question where he says, "Can two zodiacs coexist without contradiction, or is one zodiac correct and the other wrong?" And his immediate answer was was that we would be falling short of our duty of 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 being intellectually correct. Unless we said that the two cannot simultaneously exist, that's what we have to start off. We have to we have to hit that at the beginning. Yeah, right. That there there can be no way that they can both. I mean, what he ends up arguing, or he sort of states flatly, is just there's no way that they can coexist, or there's no way that they can each have some sort of independent um, value or or usefulness that's you know unique to each of them, but instead. One of them has to be right, and the other has to be wrong. And the tropical zodiac is the correct one, and the sidereal zodiac is the wrong one. And but but he actually, I mean, that because that was what was interesting about the argument is he overextended it. He didn't just say the tropical zodiac works better for this, this, and this, or for what I use it for, which is he's a modern no, he psychological. Made, he, he made he made some very strange jumps of logic, and I'm not sure I'm the the correct person to argue with him point by point. But I mean, but he went from, from once it was discovered that there was a tropical Zodiac that basically made the sidereal Zodiac irrelevant and wrong. And therefore the idea that there can be any effect from places in the sky rather than from the seasons is obvious. And it's not. (laughs) Right. Well, he hung up the entire thing that saying that because the, Tropical zodiac uh, influences life on Earth through direct uh, or indirect celestial causation. That 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 therefore is the reason why it has some astrological effect and relevance. Whereas he he argues that because the sidereal zodiac has no influence on the seasons, therefore it cannot have any astrological relevance. And he 
overextended the argument and, and basically tried to argue that the constellations ha- never had any actual astrological significance or meaning whatsoever. So he actually – Cor- that is correct. Overextended the argument and, and ignores like the long thousand-year history of even Western tropical astrologers using the fixed stars and trying to integrate those into. There was no acknowledgement of of that at all. Sure. So, and and, but, it's like and, a- and what he said toward the beginning, what he said was um, to claim that someone born on March twenty-first is simultaneously a sun sign Aries and a sun sign Pisces is a contradiction. If both systems, tropical and sidereal, distinguished the meaning of Aries and Pisces in roughly the same way, it would be equivalent to saying that an animal is a ram and not a ram at the same time. The two propositions are mutually exclusive, and since these contradictions apply to every sign in the two zodiacs, both zodiacs cannot be valid. Wait, wait, wait. Did he, where are you reading that from? Because that's not in the transcript of the video. Is that I'm the original paper? That, I'm, I'm reading that from the article that he submitted that he claims his talk was a direct um, reading of, but as we know, it wasn't. Right. Well, that's one of the issues is that according to the organizers, because the organizers were, were evidently open to having you know, different talks, even dealing with sensitive issues like the Zodiac issue. Correct. And, and they you know, accepted a paper from him. Um, on this, or or at least an outline or something of what talk he was going to give, but then what they ended up saying was um, the the organ- main organizer said, "quote unquote," there were many negative remarks in Glenn's lecture, which were not included in the transcript he sent us prior to the conference. So evidently, whatever he submitted them ahead of time was not exactly the same. And, and you actually just demonstrated that because you just read something I hadn't heard before that was in the paper that he submitted that wasn't in the actual talk that he gave. Right. And in all fairness, Chris, he does say that his talk was an excerpt because he was only allotted 30 minutes. Therefore, he couldn't read his entire paper presented. Right. Well, and and even aside from that, I mean, because one of the things I should say is I, I recorded like a two-hour video commentary where I broke down, especially because most of his argument ends up being historical, but he's not a historian is a psychologist, so it was really easy to see and to point out, which I did, the flaws in his historical and conceptual arguments. And people can watch that video uh, if they want, which I'll link to on the description page for this episode. But it's not even his argument and the fact that it was flawed historically or conceptually that was really the thing that was a problem here. And I guess that's something we should emphasize from the start, even though we have you know, major conceptual and historical objections that can easily be made to the talk. And there were major weaknesses in it, you know, as a result of that. Um, the primary thing is just that it was a very disrespectful talk in the to the audience that he gave it to. And that was the thing, I think, f- for me, certainly, and I think for the people that were there, from what I understand, that really upset people or caused the controversy. I mean, mm-hmm. would you say that's, that's true? I, I, would, I would say that too. Also, from the article that he wrote, he says, It is unclear why they, meaning the Indian astronomers, abandoned the linkage between the signs and the seasons. However, since a different language separated the two cultures at the inception of Indian horoscopic astrology in the second century AD, Hindus could only know what was available by virtue of translations from Greek into Sanskrit. Unlike their Western and Arabic counterparts, they never grasped 
that the constellations had no intrinsic meaning or influence in themselves, and so Hindu astrologers continued to confuse the visible backdrop, the constellations, for the real thing. Right. That was one of the sort of over the top, because basically, I mean, the whole talk ended up being not, it wasn't unique. He didn't present any new research or, or really line of argumentation. It was largely culling together arguments that other historians and tropical astrologers have made in favor of the tropical zodiac in a 30 minute time frame. The thing that was unique that he brought to the talk was all of these rhetorical flourishes like that, these sort of not so subtle sort of jabs where he's just like saying the tropical zodiac or the sidereal zodiac never had any value or meaning. The constellations are useless. Um, he says at one point, like the trop the the sidereal zodiac collapsed like a house of cards is one of the weird yes, yes. phrases that he used at one point. Uh, he talks about the constellations and by extension the sidereal zodiac being arbitrary and superfluous and made up. Well, he also says in the closing in his article, when there is insufficient evidence to warrant a final conclusion, one should one should be open to competing hypotheses. However, when there is sufficient evidence, vacillation about the issue merely perpetuates confusion, compromises the efficacy of practice, and weakens the overall credibility of our field. Woof. Well, yeah, and I really don't want to. I don't want to read quotes because that paper actually hasn't been released yet. All that's been released publicly is his lecture recording and the transcript of his lecture that he put on his website. Um, although even released because he has not released the paper himself. The reason I think though, when the controversy first broke, he was promoting the transcript and he was sending that around. But what ended up happening is that ended up being partially misleading mm -hmm. because part of his presentation was not just his tone in it, but also some of the slides that he used, especially one of the ones at the end when he makes this really over-the-top um, statement about how the tropical zodiac murdered the sidereal zodiac. He has had this slide of like this um, ominous-looking figure that was like behind some some smoke or some fog. It was ghost-like. Yes, it was. It was weird. Right. It was like a ghost that was like meant to represent the sidereal zodiac that was haunting the tropical zodiac because the the phrase or the the ending statement he ended up making was that. The sidereal zodiac was effectively, quote unquote, the sidereal zodiac was effectively terminated by the tropical zodiac, but like a ghost haunting its ex executioner, it casts a troubling shadow over the profession. And that was before that he said the sidereal zodiac holds, hangs on a vestigial organ once relevant to our Babylonian ancestors, but no longer in accord with our current understanding of the cosmos. So it's like you have to understand that he he didn't just make an argument for the um, tropical zodiac, but he made it in the most antagonistic and dismissive and kind of like arrogant way possible. I think dismissive and arrogant are are important words. Sure, and, and we're both saying that. I mean, what's weird? So weird about this is that we're both tropical astrologers. So it's like you would think we would be on his side or we would be in agreement with him. But one of the things that's funny is that seeing him take it in such an extreme direction and and such an, an arrogant and sort of um divisive way 
that's caused you know a lot of tropical and a lot of Western astrologers to kind of cringe and basically to call this guy out over the past month and say, you know, hey, that was really inappropriate and that was not a good reflection of this, or you didn't re- represent us well uh, when acting as an emissary. Because part of the issue is that until this month, actually, or this past week, he was actually a board member and he was the research director and ethics director for the International Society of Astrological Research, uh, or ESAR. And that was part of the other controversy is that he was partially representing ESAR when he went to give this lecture. And that's actually how they introduced him at the beginning of the talk. It It, it is. And, 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 I, and I must say, Chris, that my um, talking about this it's putting me through some spaces because as you may or may not know, I mean, I've known Glenn, geez, I think probably about 20 years and I, um, um, I've been, uh, uh, how do I say this? Um, uh, I would have considered him to be a friend, even through some of his earlier, uh, situations. I, you know, these are conversations that he and I had. We'll get to some of those in a moment. But it's it's like this particular instance just pushed me over the top, and and there's a problem, and the problem is not just, you know, it's it, well, there's two two levels here. The problem is not just about this particular instance, as you know, there are at least a couple of other instances where he's created divisiveness in the community in a way that was unnecessary, in a way that he could have stated his cause but instead created divisiveness. So part of this problem or part of this whole situation is about Glenn. But part of the situation is we're not going to change Glenn or fix Glenn, or perhaps it it appears that Glenn doesn't think that he's done anything wrong and that nothing needs to be fixed. So the second issue becomes, what do we do as a community, as an industry, as as people who do have a commitment to understanding the truth about what it is that we do and how do we react to things like this. And I think that – so there's two separate issues here. Yeah, and eventually I definitely want to take the the discussion in that direction, which is basically what, what can we learn from this? And if this was the wrong way, which I think virtually – you know the vast majority of astrologers that I've seen comment or react to this have agreed that this was the wrong way to go about dealing with this sort of a, an issue or a problem in the astrological community or a you know something that that needs to be talked about, which is the zodiac issue, which is fine to talk about and address. But that if this was the the wrong way to go about doing that and dealing with a sensitive issue in the community, then what is the right way and what can we take from this in order to get some sort of positive lesson from it? Well, so. yeah, I agree, and it's interesting even that that Glenn approached this as the two zodiac problem because for me, I, I like you, I I use I use the tropical zodiac. I've had my chart done sidereally and been totally blown away by how impressively relevant it was. So I have a great deal of respect. Um, for um, you know, for sidereal astrology, for Vedic astrology in in, in general, um, <clears throat> but but the real question you know here is how do we go about bringing up um, topics that are that we don't agree on, and how can this be like such a problem 
when there are so many things I mean, just, just the question of what house cusp system you use or what orbs do you use? There are a gazillion things that we as astrologers don't agree on uh, or, or have different ways of looking at just like there's 30 or 40 or 50 or 100 different schools of psychology. It doesn't mean that one is wrong and uh, uh, that one is right and all the others are wrong. Right. And that's typically, I mean, because Glenn often finds himself in this position in the community or puts himself deliberately in his, this position where he thinks that he, once he adopts a position or he finds something that works for him, he seems to think that all of their approaches are wrong and oftentimes will turn around and start uh, attacking other traditions. And so there have been at least two other major instances, if not more, of him. Go, doing these these major attacks on other yeah, two traditions that, or two that I know of. Sure. So that's something perhaps worth talking about to provide some context because that's the other part of understanding if this is the wrong approach and this is a recurring thing, you know, and what the contrast is to that. So one of the approaches that I know, and this is a little bit before my time, and that's why I wanted to ask you about it, is I know that he at one point um attacked evolutionary astrology and, and Stephen Forrest in particular, I heard about an incident at a, a Northwest Astrological Conference when Stephen Forrest was giving a a lecture on something and Glenn Perry stood up in the middle of the the audience and started arguing with Stephen or like calling him out or something during the middle of a lecture. And you, you I were was there present for, that? for I was present for that. But um th- that event was not in that was not an isolated event. That event happened as the culmination of a many-month-long um, uh, exercise that Glenn, as part of the then-forming um, ethics committee, trying to come up with uh, a, um, a, um, a statement of um, you know ethics for for Esar, um, that Glenn kind of be, got involved in this whole discussion specifically about what Glenn refers to as reincarnational astrology. Um, and and Glenn wrote papers on that. He wrote um, um, actually a rather lengthy piece that was excerpted from um, a book that he published um, called Silent Night, The Ethics of Reincarnational Astrology, which was excerpted from a book that he wrote called Issues and Ethics in the Profession of Astrology. And in this article, um, interestingly enough, he starts it off with another Aristotle quote. I find that just to be interesting. Um, it is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. Now, in this article, he basically makes the case that 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 reincarnational astrology or astrology – um, that uses reincarnation um, is unethical because astrologers aren't allowed to make um, uh, misleading or deceptive claims um, um, that are misleading or deceptive if the astrologer fails to declo- disclose material facts, blah, 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 blah. And he goes on to make a very detailed and, and what's the right word, academically supported um, case for why uh, reincarnation in astrology is unethical. And of course, this, you know, goes back to the theosoph- the, the theosophists and, 
you know, Alice Bailey and, and Dane Rudyard, Alan Leo, Isabel Hickey. I mean, the, the threat of reincarnation, at least in the modern uh, post-theosophical humanistic tradition, even prior to the um, Jeff Green, Stephen Forrest evolutionary, you know, astrology um, uh, school, that 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 Glenn's problem was not with Stephen Forrest. It was with reincarnation. And it wasn't even that he didn't believe whatever that means in reincarnation. He just felt it was unethical to use reincarnation in an astrology counseling session as if it was uh, the truth. Right. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't just that it was like not, not his, not his cup of tea to, you know, try to integrate the philosophical or, or religious concept of reincarnation into an astrological reading, but he actually went so far as to start arguing that it was unethical and and dangerous. And that so was- this argument was going on between Glenn and not just Stephen, the larger community, but Stephen obviously being a um a a proponent of the evolutionary school of astrology, where a chart is looked at as basically the map for the soul during this incarnation. Therefore, reincarnation has a very important piece in that whole school. And Stephen's involvement really wasn't to necessarily take on Glenn. It was to defend his entire school and all the students that have studied with him over the years. So what happened that night is Stephen was giving a lecture, crazy as this sounds, on um, ethics and astrology. Okay. And in it, he brought up Glenn's argument with him, quoting an article from The Mountain Astrologer that Glenn said, that's taking, Glenn was, I was sitting at the same table, uh, um, uh, dinner table um, as Glenn that night. And Glenn said, that's taken out of context, Stephen. That's not what I said. And Stephen said, well, well, not, not quite yet until Stephen went on and said, it is what you said. And I stand by blah, 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 blah. And then Glenn stood up basically to defend himself and said, you know, well, you're misquoting me. And, and Stephen basically said, it wasn't these weren't his words, but he basically said, "Shit, sit down and shut the fuck up." Now, now he basically, you know, it, it became a Capricorn at a podium at a lecture podium and said, "This is not your place. Sit down." You know, and this was in front of two hundred and fifty, three hundred people. Um, and I have to say that um, because I was involved in the ongoing discussions. Um, and not so much as a creator of them, but certainly reading the the work that had been done and submitted by various people. Um, you know, I at that time I understood Glenn's frustration, uh, but I also didn't agree with how he was going uh, about the extreme position that he was taken taking taking. And in fact, the following day after that. When uh, everyone went out to dinner, um, the people who hung around the next day went out to dinner and and Glenn was feeling very excluded. I went out to dinner with Glenn. So you got to understand here that there is some um, – it, 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 it's difficult for me to take this step and call Glenn for what is going on because if that had been the only time and Glenn realized that he maybe didn't do, go about it the right way – um, and, and which he did. I mean, he, he later said that it probably wasn't the best thing to do, you know, 
But but if that had been the case and had he really learned the lesson, then it wouldn't have happened again another time and then another time. And at some point in time, you have to look at this and say, is this helping the community or not? Is this person who is the you know, uh, director of the ethics um, you know, committee, I'm not, I'm, I know I don't have that title exactly right, but um, is this person who's responsible for ethics, is this a person that someone with an ethics problem could go to? You know, it's, 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 it, it makes the whole situation rather difficult. And so for me, this was just the thing that just pushed me over the edge and said, um, no, this, is, this has got to stop. Not anymore. Not, th- th- it's enough. It's like there seems to be in this day and age numbers of things from different directions that have been going on and they reach a point of people reaching a point and saying, this, this, yes, this is the way it was, but this can't go on like this. It's not okay. Right. And I mean the, the problem with the Stevens situation as I understand it was also uh, that Glenn – so in the late 90s and early 2000s, a bunch of the astrological organizations start getting this – impetus to create ethical codes for their organizations and for astrologers that are part of the organizations in order to Correct. outline what is what is okay and what is not okay within the field of astrology or as a practicing astrologer and Glenn was involved very much involved in creating the first ethical codes for ESAR but then Correct. Uh, he ended up crafting them or or one of the allegations was that he ended up crafting them in a way that suited his particular approach to astrology of like modern western psychological astrology but that was not okay for some of the other groups such as evolutionary astrology where you have other groups of astrologers that have certain beliefs and some of those ended up being excluded you have it exactly correct okay and that ended up being so steven got involved at some point in trying to fix or trying to make some of those ethical codes more inclusive that would include schools like his and but he was getting attacked by Glenn uh, over and over in different instances, somewhat aggressively, and then eventually Stephen pulled back from the astrological community. So Glenn was partially reprimanded in some instances because he was never, for example, invited back to speak at Norwalk again because of that outburst during that keynote lecture. Um, but Correct then, again, right? And, uh, and and I think I mentioned this to you um, as we talked offline. But another uh, piece in this whole puzzle for me and how and why I'm here talking with you um, about this is how insistent I've been throughout my entire career um, of it's okay to have an opinion and a point of view, but it's not okay to make um, uh, outright judgments against people who have different points of view. And the following year, um, I think that the Glenn um, uh, Stephen issue, I think that was in 2002, I think. And the following year at Norwalk, I um, gave the opening plenary talk. Um, and that's the talk on Friday afternoon when the conference is just getting together. And I was talking about the future of astrology. And during that talk, I said – something very, very close to what I'm going to say now. What I said was, one year ago in this room, while Stephen Forrest was giving a talk about that Glenn Perry, who has disagreed with Stephen, um, basically stood up to defend his point of view. And in doing that, there is a riff 
between these two different perceptions of what is right and what is not right. And this, I think, was during the Saturn-Pluto opposition or post-Saturn-Pluto opposition. And what I said at that time was, we are too small of, of, of a community. It's too small of a world for us to have these kinds of differences amongst ourselves, that we need to find ways of allowing people to look at things from whatever perspective and point of view they have, whether or not it's what you use. And so I guess what, why I'm saying this is that this issue for me is not a new issue. It's something that I, that night I mentioned the fact from the podium that Glenn was born in the summer, cancer of 1949. This is all public record information. And that Stephen Forrest is a Capricorn born January 1949. And that I represent their Davison midpoint chart <laughs> because I am April 49. Okay. And I said, and I'm standing here between the two of them, basically saying that that we cannot have this kind of you know um, th- this kind of divisiveness in in our in, in our industry. It doesn't work, we right? Because it became it. like an internecine war or something. And and still, to some extent, is you know, it's that that has never gone away. Just like so, that was the first of his three um, taking on the community and. Um, and holding a point of view that may be a valid point of view for him, and that's okay. But it doesn't mean that he gets to put his point of view onto everyone else. And of course, I think that Glenn often comes back to this whole thing of evidential astrology and what is provable, and that begs another entire different question about you know science and astrology and those things which are irreproducible and the basis of Hume's idea of repeatability and science. And I mean, this, this is a much deeper discussion, but that's part of where Glenn, Glenn feels that if it's not scientific, then we shouldn't allow it. Well, yeah, I mean, but he, he has no better basis for calling his astrology scientific than anyone else. But I mean, so part of though the recurring theme is that he's often so aggressive and he often has this tendency once he has designated a specific approach to astrology as wrong to want to stamp it out and say that it shouldn't exist and that kind of tendency i've noticed happening it seems to have happened with the evolutionary astrology attack it happened with the more recently with the sidereal astrology attack but there was actually another one and this is about 10 years ago and this is when i first became aware of glenn because i didn't know who this guy was or I didn't know about any of that past history with evolutionary astrology I was really coming into the community at this point and then in 2000 like late 2007 early 2008 he published this article in the ESR journal which was this 18 page uh, attack on traditional astrology on old, I remember older forms of astrology including hellenistic astrology and um i mean it wasn't you know directed at me because i wasn't anybody at that point but it was directed against attacking older forms of astrology and saying um making a bunch of claims but as somebody who had been studying hellenistic astrology and traditional astrology for two or three years at that point i was immediately struck by how many mistakes there were in the article that made it clear that he hadn't studied the subject very closely or, or didn't understand it very well before actually attacking it so so that it became clear to anybody who had studied the subject that this guy had developed a sort of um 
a thesis or developed a preconception or a prejudice about a specific approach, and then he constructed like this whole elaborate argument around it, and then just started attacking it with whatever arguments he could come up with that seemed superficially plausible for 18 pages. But what was really weird about it is he didn't present it as if it was going to be attack. He instead mislabeled it. He titled the article, From Ancient to Postmodern Astrology Towards a New Synthesis. But then there was nothing about synthesis. He basically just attacked traditional astrology for 18 pages, and that was well, the Well, Chris, that's the same thing he did with this talk that he entitled Toward an Empathic Understanding. The, the, the two zodiac problem, Toward an Empathic Understanding. There was nothing empathic or understanding about what his talk was. His talk basically said either this or that, and it's this, therefore it's not that, that therefore you're wrong. But to title it um, in a way um, misrepresents where he's going with it, almost as if it's like to suck people in to think that you know he's going to somehow make the you know make an understanding so that someone could have you know work with both of them, synthesize whatever. I totally, it's, yeah, it's a totally strange thing. Right, it's a, it's a reoccurring theme, and it's a huge red flag because he's basically dissembling and in the title, uh, saying the exact opposite of what he's going to do. So he says Correct. he's going to present a synthesis of ancient and traditional astrology, but instead he, re- he rejects that traditional astrology has any value whatsoever. He says he's going to pr- present an empathic or empathy-focused you know, take on the tropical sidereal zodiac issue, but instead he just says the sidereal zodiac has absolutely no value and should be rejected. So that right there is important because it it sort of tells you a lot just in and of itself about his how he operates and like what his whole approach is. But this traditional attack was troubling because one of the things it did was just made it really clear that he's comfortable attacking things without being very familiar with them and doing it in very in sort of like the strongest language possible or or taking it almost like overboard where it's like even if he had some good critiques or good things to say, he always takes it to such an extreme place that it really ruins whatever good there was in his argument to begin with. Agreed. And because he has a PhD and because he presents himself in a very cool, clear manner, uh, people who don't know enough to question him don't question him and takes it as this is the truth, and therefore he does damage on that level also. Right, because he looks good on paper as somebody with a PhD, and because he always presents his statements with this like utter this this complete sense authority. of like authority and like like that he knows what he's talking about or that he studied the matter extensively. For so for example, he said traditional astrology doesn't work in my experience, uh, acting as if he had actually practiced the subject. But then he just kept misstating all these things. Like he said that the concept of planets ruling signs didn't exist or that the concept of dispositorship didn't exist prior to modern times and that when ancient astrologers talked about ruler sign rulership or dispositorship that they only had the concept of exaltation rulers which is just like a really inaccurate statement because almost every astrological text for the past 2000 years has had that concept of domicile rulership and somehow he knew so little about the subject he, he was attacking that he could he could make a, a sort of blunder that significant in a, in a printed article in an international journal. Yeah, agreed. So that was the the second attack, and it's like I wrote a response to that on my blog, the horoscopic astrology blog that is still up there today, basically just going through and pointing out 
a half I re- dozen. I read, I read it. Yeah, and, and that was a big controversy at the time because a bunch of traditional astrologers like myself and Ben Dykes and Joseph Crane and others wrote responses to that, pointing out the issues with it, and it was a big controversy at the time. Um, there was a subsequent debate about it at UAC and other discussions at the time, and then eventually it faded away. And then a few years later, he turned his sights on another tradition, and he started attacking the sidereal astrologers, first starting with his main arguments were in the ESAR newsletter with the Western sidereal astrologers. And I think that's where he first developed his argument was against people like uh, Ken Bowser, who I interviewed last summer on the topic of the the sidereal zodiac. But then he decided to, to take this argument that he had developed against Western sidereal astrologers who you know, truly and largely are just using basically modern Western techniques, but they're applying them to the sidereal zodiac. So it's basically like taking the same approach and applying it to the sidereal zodiac as a different reference system than the tropical zodiac. But he decided to take that argument last month in February to India and say that the sidereal zodiac as it's used in India and Indian astrology has no value. And one of the problems, again, as a repeat with the traditional thing is that he doesn't really know that much about Indian astrology. So he was criticizing a tradition and and fully rejecting essentially a tradition that he hadn't really studied. Correct. So that's problematic. So that could be perhaps like rule number one if we're if we're trying to draw conclusions about, you know, if Glenn's approach to a lot of these these controversies is wrong or problematic. You know what could you do that would be <clears throat> better or represent a better approach to dealing with a critique or dealing with an issue in the astrological tradition? One of the good starting points might be, you know, study and develop an accurate understanding of of what it is that you're critiquing of what it is you're critiquing before writing a critique of it. Well, and so, this is it's interesting because this is one of the main problems that we astrologers have of scientists who are critiquing astrology. We say, how can you critique it? You don't study it. You don't know enough about it. You know, you don't know anything about it. And yet that's what what Glenn has been guilty of. Right. And, and it's the a priori, it's the difference between a skeptic and a um what's the word I'm looking for? Someone who who a skeptic is someone who's inquiring. You know who who who's doubting but inquiring, and I think that all too often in science um, and perhaps with Glenn, that skepticism is not the correct word. It's a priori knowing that what you're, it, you know what it is. It's um, Lavoisier, who was the first president of the French Academy of Science back in the I don't know mid seven mid late seventeen hundreds. Um, one of the big controversies at that time was was meteors you know that you know they, there was this whole question about what were they how could they be whatever and lavoisier under the guise of the french academy of science said um there are no such things as meteors because there are stones falling from the sky and there are no stones in the sky to fall okay right <laughs> you know it's it's the the knowing where you're going before you're before you get there Right. And, you know, in all of this, there's one other thing I just don't want to let fall through the crack before we shift from Glenn to the larger thing of the community and where do we go and what do we learn. Right. And that is that 
I wrote um, a piece that I put on one of the one of the blogs or one of the Facebook you know discussions that were go that was unfolding, and I was ready to let it go until I saw Glenn's letter in the e- weekly ESAR newsletter that was um, referred to as Glenn's apology, and it was not an apology. It was basically a statement of appreciation, and the entire article that he wrote was this um, amazing spin on how wonderful the experience was and how great it was and how open the conference was that allowed him to come and talk and that there's this, been this great dialogue ever since and that, um, and, and that um, um, Gopal himself you know, said that it created a little bit of uh, fire or meltdown or something – and that Glenn said, you know, um, you know, I, it, you know, I, I certainly am sorry if um, Gopal and Alex, one of the other conference coordinators, um, had had um, if I if they had to deal with any, um, you know, excess, um, um, you know, fire or I don't remember the exact words that he used that he created. In other words, he wasn't apologizing for anything that he said. He wasn't apologizing for you know upsetting people he was apologizing to the person whose conference it was that that person had to deal with the outcome well he did the and, classic and, and, and like I, i'm sorry if you're offended you know something that's not really an apology but just it's like not, well there was no culpability at at all right and then since his resignation from from the esar board of directors i looked a little bit on his facebook page and i stopped i, I couldn't because the Basically, the the people who are there's no culpability. Glenn has Glenn is not willing apparently to acknowledge that it's not about his perspective and his point of view. That he's doing something that 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 he's not being chastised by you know Isar because he holds a position that is unpopular. In fact, he holds a position that's probably more popular in the West than, than another position. It's not about his position. It's about what he does to create divisiveness in the community. And, and um, I, the, the morning, two mornings after the talk, I was having breakfast and sitting with a group of people, including Lynn Bell, and Glenn walked by for the first time in a couple of days. And although um, he wasn't around for a couple of days after he gave his talk, he was apparently very sick, and I certainly can grant him that, although he seems to not have taken any effort to communicate that with the conference coordinators or anyone as to why he had disappeared. That being a totally separate story. No, I mean, that's actually Lynn, Lynn relevant said, that he split and, and didn't stick around because there were rebuttal lectures presented by sidereal astrologers in the aftermath of his lecture defending the sidereal zodiac. That's true, he, but, if, but if he was really sick – at least he should have let people know, regardless. So, well, Lynn in light said of, I just him, want to clarify that in light of the fact that he's spinning every part of this subsequently in order to be about, you know, him being uh, the victim and how he's, you yes. know, the intrepid, you know, that he, he said in his latest post that I will always look back on that lecture as one of the proudest moments of my life. Not because people liked the talk, but because the ensuing outrage underscored how much courage it took to give the lecture in the first place. So everybody is pissed off at him basically because he was a jerk to 
his well, host. That's like, that's like going into a museum and breaking some some uh, old, you know, Ming Dynasty rare piece and saying, but, you know, and then not understanding why people were angry and saying, you have no idea how much courage it took to do it. Right. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's a dumb argument. But, but the point of this little story was that Lynn said, hey, Glenn, you were a bad boy the other day. And Glenn said, no, I was something you just like, you know, and she said, well, but I am writing a letter and I'll send you a copy, but I'm writing a letter to the ESAR. I want you to know. And Glenn looked at her and just said, well, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it and walked away. Now, this is true. I was there. Right. I mean, he had no interest in, but the, the disappearing and not showing up for any of the other lectures after he presented his own was just such a quintessential thing because he wasn't interested in hearing the rebuttals or interested in engaging in a like a dialogue with the other practitioners, the other traditions or receiving again, feedback. Again, Chris, I totally agree with that. But, but, but if he was really sick, and I believe he was really sick, then at least he should have communicated that. Um, in other words, I mean, I understand. I, I totally agree with you. But, but the fact that he didn't communicate actually I totally the agree. point. I totally, I totally agree. I it totally probably agree. was not just illness. So I mean, we don't know. Uh, all right. Um, so, so other points, but, but I, but I do think it's really important to to note that in all of the aftermath, there's still um, only um, kind of like, uh, and this is not coming from a psychological evaluation point of view, but it's like a narcissistic self righteousness that everybody else, you know, has misread his intentions. And that he – that this was the proudest moment of his life. That's just absolutely bizarre. Right. Well, I mean it's part of his attempt to spin it in a positive way because this looked terrible. And basically people were writing in letters and saying – and demanding his resignation uh, from the ESAR board and certainly as the ethics chair because – partially because it was viewed as as an ethical – Breach uh, to the extent that he was representing the International Society for Astrological Research, and that was part of how he was introduced at the conference. And what ended up happening is the board did decide they had a meeting and and gave him, him an ultimatum and said either you need to step down as the ethics chair or you need to step down from your position on the board entirely. And uh, he chose to step down from the board entirely for for whatever his reasons were. Now on his on his Facebook page, most of the people who are um, friends of his on Facebook are basically the position that they're holding is how terrible is it that an organization like the astrology organizations won't even allow differences of opinion. You should quit them anyhow. This is the most terrible thing. Astrologers are so full of their points of view that they can't tolerate someone with a different – and these are people supporting Glenn and I get it. But that's I, – I just – I had to stop reading it. I couldn't – I just – I was done. I'm done. Well, it's people that don't understand that he's not being persecuted for making an argument for the tropical zodiac. He's being uh, – he's having some blowback. He's suffering from, the consequences of. The consequences not for making the argument but for doing it in a completely disrespectful fashion Correct. Correct. to – in a foreign country. So there are other ethical breaches and other problems with the talk. I mean – there was plagiarism, uh, so he actually ripped off 
a diagram from my website that I actually made on the, that shows the difference between the tropical and sidereal and constellational zodiac. And that's actually the very first diagram in the video that he uses about two and a half minutes in. So he did that and took that from my website without attribution and without credit. And right. there's dozens and dozens of other images in there that he also, I think, used without credit. Because what's funny is that the images that he used that were his, he put his name and a copyright notice on them. But then there was a bunch that did not have any sort of name or copyright that seemed to have been from other astrology and astronomy websites. So I also, it was brought to my attention that he plagiarized at least one uh, line of the talk from uh, Ken Bowser's book, uh, An Introduction to Western Sidereal Astrology, where Ken Bowser wrote, quote, in this system, the and he implies tropical zodiac is defined by the seasons and is disconnected from the stars as a frame of reference. In this system, the sidereal zodiac is defined by the stars themselves and is disconnected from the seasons as a frame of reference. And Perry says in his talk, the tropical zodiac is defined by the seasons and is disconnected from the stars as a frame of reference, whereas the sidereal zodiac is defined by the stars and is disconnected from the seasons as a frame of reference. So it's like almost a word for word quote from another astrologer's book and he just like uses it without attribution. So there's a bunch of like other issues besides just being rude or being, you know, antagonistic or other things with the talk. And I guess it's like we've talked about most of those. I mean, another one was he threw out towards the end. This actually didn't get as much exposure as it should have, but one of the things, one of the bombs that he threw in the talk was that he announces he goes in this digression at some point towards the end of the talk and I don't really know why he did it because it wasn't really necessary to the talk but he goes on this digression and starts talking about how he he says quote most of indian astrology came from the west or came from the greeks basically yes i remember that so he starts talking about basically the very delicate issue of the relationship between ancient Indian astrology and ancient Western astrology, and then basically wades into that argument by, again, overstating the point and saying that most of Indian astrology came from the Greeks. So it's like another one of those issues where he doesn't have any real much familiarity with Hellenistic astrology. He has even less familiarity with Indian astrology, but he just like starts throwing out statements that are sort of offensive to his hosts and not really necessary for his argument and not even accurate in the way that he's saying them by overstating the point and saying most of the astrology comes from the Greeks, which is not really an accurate statement. So, I mean, there was plenty of things then to be that, that were wrong with the talk or that one could really like focus in on to explain to somebody who doesn't understand what the controversy was or what caused it that, that might help to explain that. But I guess at this point, you know, maybe what we should segue into and what might be useful to talk about is what can we learn from this? Because one of the things that's troubling about it to me, and that does represent a serious problem, which is how do we figure out we have we have a serious issue in the astrological community at this point where sometimes there are different approaches to doing what looks like fundamentally the same thing. And you Correct. do have this this question sometimes of, is this a matter of a situation where you need to choose 
A, you know, option A or option B, and there's going to be a right answer and a wrong answer, or let's say from a technical standpoint, a, a more effective answer or a not effective answer, or are these, you know, sometimes you don't know if it's a situation where you have two different options that might have some independent value, and it might not be a, ma- a, a sort of black and white issue where one is right and the other is wrong, but instead you have a, an issue where there might be good points to each or something of value in both approaches. And how do you know which it is? Because it's not always clear. And how do we resolve issues like that in the community? Yeah, good question. And I think that we can look to the medical world for both the solutions and how the solutions don't work. I mean, in other words, um, the American Medical Association was brought into existence so that there wouldn't be people practicing medicine doing strange stuff that was that was uh, that had no efficacy that was, that didn't work. The problem is that whenever you have someone defining which way works, it basically cripples creativity and or solutions that are either outside of that box or coming from another direction, and therefore you have in our um, medical environment. You have uh, negative judgments against things like acupuncture, chiropractic, homeopathy, herbs, whatever, um, energy healing. I, I, I mean, you know, there's, there's lists of things. And, and so I think we have to be careful about over licensing, about over, about, about creating a system where that to call yourself an astrologer, you have to be able to do this, 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 and that, and not that, 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 and that. Because what happens is um, that we end up legislating away some of the most useful tools and some of the creativity. Now, having said that, the flip side of that is you don't want – we don't want you know anyone basically calling themselves an astrologer and doing stuff that has – Nothing to do with astrology. I mean, I find, quite frankly, um, you know, in India, um, if you're an astrologer, palmistry is part of astrology, right? You know, and and having done a little bit of digging there, I understand that there that there seems to be a correlation between you know lines on the body and and lines in our life, invisible from the planets, if you will, whatever. But the point is that when we start taking a look at at some of the other pieces laying around the edges of astrology um it's it, there are places where we we arbitrarily make a line and go i will not go further than that right and the question is how do we as a community come up with some ways of making those arbitrary places not so arbitrary right well, well well every astrologer has to do that basically for themselves where it's not always completely arbitrary, but at least there is a subjective component where every astrologer has to choose which techniques or which approaches or which traditions they want to integrate into their own practice and they think are, are valid or, or useful or, or that speak to them. And there's going to be some practices or some approaches or techniques or whatever that are going to be the opposite, that, that don't speak to you or that you don't think work as well in your practice or you don't think makes sense and therefore you choose not to use. 
And, you know, that's like a personal question in and of itself. And then, yeah, there's this larger. So then one, as a, as an astrologer personally, how then do you interact with pr- practitioners that do that thing that you don't think works or that, you know, you don't like, or you don't agree with for, for whatever philosophical or, or other reasons. So that's like one question. And then alternatively, how do we deal with that as a meta issue in the community when we're trying to talk about things like certification or ethics or other things like that. Yeah. No, these are these are really good questions. I mean, um I would no sooner do a client chart without quintiles and septiles than I would without squares. I mean, I you it, 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 that's how important they are in my work. Now, they're not like that for every other astrologer. You know, I get it. And I, it's not my place to push that on every other astrologer or think that the astrology that they're doing is wrong because they don't use my technique. You know, by the same token, um, you know, I, I might use um, uh, perfections rather than secondary progressions or progressions versus versus solar arcs or this house cusp system versus that. And the deal is that on some level, what we're doing is a practice, and I think this maybe goes back to um, Jeffrey Cornelius's work, that in some way, what we're doing is a practice that opens up a window. And it may be, much to our chagrin, that the what we do is less important than the fact that we do it. Yeah, I mean that's one of the questions, and especially something you know. Explored. It's one extreme. I'm not. I'm not selling that idea, but I'm saying that's one extreme. Right. Well, I mean, the underlying issue is that we don't ultimately know, and I think that's the thing that should cause astrologers to have some, to adopt some position of like humbleness and not to 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 immediately jump to a fully extreme or or, or adopt like an arrogant posture, especially when it comes to other astrologers, because there's always this question of, you know, the problem is this, what if you're wrong? Like what if there is something to this other approach and it does work? Or, you know, you, you can't always just assume that because your approach works, that the other approach that might look like it contrasts with yours is completely wrong. Even in instances where they look like they could be or should be mutually exclusive, and Correct. I think that's that's one of the potential issues that really needs to be explored when it comes to the zodiac thing. And that's one of the reservations that I have is that even though I I use and prefer and I have my different like practical and conceptual and, and historical reasons for using the tropical zodiac, uh, I still think there's this open question where. You know, I'm not ready to just like completely reject that the sidereal zodiac has absolutely any value to it uh, at all whatsoever. Because I feel well, like that would be in, going- a, in a way, Chris. There's that whole question of it's not just the sidereal zodiac; it's it's the sidereal, it's the stars themselves. Right. You know, if one throws away the sidereal zodiac, does one also throw away the notion that? fixed stars and or fixed galaxies, quasars, pulsars, radio sources, x-rays. There's all kinds of crazy shit out there. And and they're all located somewhere in space. And we don't know what kind of impact they have in a direct line. Right. No, I mean, that would be absurd in the sense, at least in a limited sense of the fixed stars. I think the 
you know, that the attempt to reject that even the fixed stars or the constellations that they have any astrological or symbolic significance at all whatsoever, just in order, just for the sake of making an, an argument in favor of the tropical zodiac, I think is is absurd and is a complete overreach or like going too Correct. far. Me, yeah, me too. Um, and I think most astro- I think like ninety nine percent of astrology. I don't even. I can't even really imagine many astrologers that would really defend that or attempt to defend that. I mean, the other issue that we run into is just actually an interesting discussion topic with you. Was one of the 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 really weird what I thought was weird lines of argumentation that Glenn made was that he said that the the tropical zodiac has value because it's connected with the seasons and the seasons influence life on Earth. In a, in a very direct and sometimes indirect way, and then he argues because the sidereal zodiac has no connection with the seasons and therefore no causal influence on earthly events, the sidereal zodiac can have no value. And that, to me, immediately is somebody that adopts a, an acausal approach to astrology, where astrology works primarily through the planets and and stars and other celestial phenomenon. Acting as signs and symbols, and, and that's part of the why astrology works, or it has uh, efficacy in in most ways. You know, that's kind of an absurd argument to me. That well, if- it's absurd. It's absurd for the reason that you just described, but it's also absurd because a large part of the planet does not have four seasons. Some parts have two seasons, or three seasons, or five seasons, and there's then the southern hemisphere problem. Which says they have seasons, but they're different. So I, the, the seasonal thing, even though the, uh, as I know you know, the word tropical is less the word for seasons than it is for turning, which is really a turning of the seasons. But if it were just the seasons, then then astrology wouldn't work where there's only a rainy season and a dry season, or on the equator, or in the southern hemisphere, or wherever else. Right. I mean, that's really important because that was the other thing that wasn't explored is just if you put everything on a seasonal argument and that all of the, you know, um, efficacy of the tropical zodiac depends on the seasons and basically you put it entirely on the northern hemisphere seasons, then you run into a major issue, which we, we've talked about a million times in the podcast before, which is that the seasons are reversed in the southern hemisphere. So there, there's a problem. Again, adopting an arrogant posture in promoting the tropical zodiac because there's still this big, like, unsolved issue that all tropical and sidereal astrologers know about, which is that the seasons are simultaneously, you know, like a strong point in favor of the tropical zodiac and some of the symbolism that astrologers draw on, but it's also one of its greatest weaknesses yep. that astrologers yep. haven't really resolved, which is what makes the vernal point. Uh, a viable starting point that's true in both the northern and southern hemisphere, and I haven't. I've heard a few astrologers almost come close, but I've never heard anybody come up with a fully compelling answer to that that question that seems to solve that issue. I agree. So I don't th- think that means that it can't that it cannot be resolved, or that there may not be actually a good answer to that question based on. The reports of, of especially astrologers that I know who live in the southern hemisphere and, and do not think that the tropical signs should be reversed, even though the seasons are. But it's still one of those open questions, and it's like I feel like questions like that should be the focus of talks. And if Glenn had gone to India 
and presented a talk for the Tropical Zodiac. It explored even the shortcomings and tried to propose a resolution to that question, which is still an issue that plagues you know, tropical astrologers to this day, then that would have been a, like a unique uh, substantive contribution to the astrological tradition at that point. He would have done something new and unique and innovative, but instead it was just going to India, rehashing a bunch of not unique arguments from other sources in favor of the tropical zodiac and telling all the sidereal astrologers that they were wrong and then going home. And that's not you know that's not really productive that didn't further our knowledge or expand our knowledge of astrology or, or discourse about astrology in any way it just sort of upset a bunch of people and caused us to have have this discussion so where should we go with this i mean what are some of the other topics that this kind of can lead us to Positively, in terms of of developing something positive, or have some some useful useful sort of spin off from this. Well, I, on on one level, I think the most singularly obvious and simplistic piece is that we need to keep an open mind and be kind. Be aware. Be kind. Be compassionate. I mean, that's you know, Glenn Glenn carried no sensitivity to where he was and what he was doing and apparently still doesn't. Um, I mean, he would argue and say that he did, that people took him wrong or whatever, but with an exception of maybe two or three people that I know of, everyone took him in the same way. So there's something. So, 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 I mean, I think one of the things is that I believe it's great to have a point of view that no one else has or that few other people have, but present it in a way that this is a this is my point of view this is not the way it is and your point of view is still your point of view you know it's it's like this whole idea of 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 multiplicity of um um there's no one single right wrong you know the aristotelian idea of it's either this or that and it can't be both simultaneously I've used the um, argument which Glenn tried to dismiss and say, "Oh, that," you know, and that is that that the idea that a subatomic uh, particle and a subatomic wave are at one time both a particle and a wave, and yet they can't be both in Aristotle's logic. That's impossible, but right. yet that's the way it is. So all I'm saying is is that one of the things that we can take from this is that it's not always what we say. It's how we say it. And in saying things, the question to ask is, are we acknowledging who our audience is? Are we being kind? Why are we doing this? Are we doing this to engrandize ourselves, to make ourselves seem like we have the answer, we're more important? Is this an ego-driven thing, or is this something that's really for the good of all? Because no one – no, I shouldn't say no one uh, – because no one except for Glenn and a few other people could claim that what Glenn that the way Glenn presented what he presented was for the good of all it was not it was for the good of Glenn right yeah i mean and it it didn't like win over like nobody was convinced by this argument i mean partially cuz the argument didn't present anything new it just uh, it was basically just a historical argument um even though he's not a historian and has announced that he has 
zero interest in studying older forms of astrology because he doesn't think that they have any value. And that was the point of the 18-page paper attacking traditional astrology 10 years ago. Just gave a long historical talk arguing for the tropical zodiac. And then that was kind of that was kind of it. I mean, that was that was literally like the end of the talk in terms of what it presented that was new or unique. The only thing that was unique to Glenn in terms of that was just that he did these sort of rhetorical flourishes that were kind of rude basically towards the end and and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm reminded of the Buckminster Fuller quote who said you never change something by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build the new model that makes the existing model obsolete. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, you know, some of the points here, like the importance of understanding a tradition or approach before you critique it. Um, what mm-hmm. is your motivation for attacking something? Do you understand what you're attacking before you critique it? Or have you spent enough time studying it? Have you acknowledged the shortcomings of your own approach? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a bunch of questions like that. And then finally, just like, you know, are you ex- approaching this in a sense of genuine like curiosity and exploration and uh, furthering the astrological tradition or you know are you approaching things with almost it's like there was this underlying tone of like like mean spiritedness that i feel like is a recurring thing that most of the people who practice the traditions that he often ends up attacking often feel from those yes. attacks agreed is there's this like sense of like mean spiritedness underlying it and that's the thing I think that people react to the most is realizing that this is not coming from a place of like, you know, genuine critiques for the purpose of of furthering the field. But it's like, uh, this this guy doesn't like what you're doing and doesn't think it's right, and he's going to attack you. And and that's the way why it's usually appropriate to to characterize it as more of an attack than a genuine critique. Yeah, I, I I agree. Although I'm pretty sure that that Glenn would deny that and say that that's not true. Yeah, I mean, he would say a lot of things, but I, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm past the point of because he often spins or or turns a lot of things and always like finds an excuse. Like, there's always an excuse, or there's always like a reason why mm-hmm. what he did was okay, or why it was justified, or why he doesn't need to apologize, or he doesn't need to admit any fault or wrongdoing. Like when he emailed me, for example, I mentioned on Twitter really briefly one night that uh, like a week ago that he I laughed when I jumped through his lecture when the video first came out because I saw that he had ripped off one of my images. He sent me like this aggressive email demanding to know which image he ripped off, supposedly ripped off from my website. And I was like, that's really dumb. You don't even know what image he ripped off. And he's like, well if you're not going to tell me then there's no then I probably didn't, you know, steal any image from your website. And he actually started getting aggressive with me. And I then I pointed out which image he had ripped off from my website. And then he tried to argue the point with me and said that he got it from Google and that it was from Google's website. And therefore, you know, he didn't rip it off or anything else. And he just started, started justifying and kept justifying instead of just like immediately acknowledging the mistake, apologizing for it and, you know, letting it be. He actually mm-hmm. kept trying to justify it like over and over again, even though it was really clear that he was in the wrong. 
And for that reason, it's like I'm not interested in hearing his like spinning Agreed. Agreed. of the situation. Yeah. No, or I'm, to d- I'm done with that. Yep, agree. Sure. You know, I think we 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 go on. We I think we look at this event as justice being done within the community by people who are willing to stand up for what is right. Although I know it was uncomfortable for some of the people on the ESAR board who have been longtime friends of Glenn's. It's a bit uncomfortable for me. I've been a longtime friend of Glenn's. You know, Lynn Bell, I think, deserves some credit here for actually writing that very, very first email for kind of capsulizing the outrage and shock that we were all feeling, but she put it into a document like right away. And in some ways that, that kind of got the ball rolling. Um, but I think it's also to the credit of the ESAR board having to deal with this of basically one of their own. And it's, that's the times that we live in. It's the old way of doing things don't work anymore. The slippery slopes are no longer slippery slopes. They're razor's edges and we need to come down on things on the right side. And I think that we did in this instance. Yeah. I mean, it finally, it was one of those instances where it's like he's gotten into many of these conflicts in the past and always kind of skates by, or he's able to to spin it afterwards in a, in a way that he never truly has consequences for it. But this was the time when he finally really crossed the line and people spoke up about it. Now, it's actually one of the important things, I think, about things like that is that sometimes I think it's really important uh, when you see something that's not right or not okay, or when somebody does cross a line to say that and and to speak up in the astrological community and not to hold your tongue because you don't want to get into an argument with like some other astrologer. But if you see somebody- Especially someone who is on a board or who is in charge of ethics. I was amazed when this thing first started happening on Facebook- with the intensity and the immediacy of how many people came out of the woodwork with stories that were like, you know, like I wasn't there, but boy, I understand because this was my experience some other time. So, you know, it's it just um, – this is not a um, public move against Glenn. I think that this is a public move for doing what's right within the community. Yeah, I mean, although all of those other experiences, because I was reminded, I had forgotten all of this other stuff, but the fact that he had been involved in so many other conflicts in the past where he had behaved similarly inappropriately and so many different people had different stories and different reports of the same experience, uh, I mean, that did actually really contribute ultimately to what happened in people calling for his resignation and for saying that this wasn't all right because it had finally crossed like a threshold where you know something had to be done agreed so yeah i mean i don't know what other you know specific lessons or specific things i mean part of the reason i wanted to talk about this was because it was like a major event that was happening in the astrological community that hundreds of astrologers have been talking about over the course of the past month and i usually try to like cover current events and current discussions mm-hmm. and other things that are happening in the astrological community because partially because it's like an interesting snapshot in time and i kind of think about sometimes like somebody 100 years from now like coming back and listening to this episode and listening to what the astrologers were talking about and what some of the issues were in the astrological community in our time and what kind of 
you know, tensions that was creating in some instances, but also how astrologers were trying to wrestle with and trying to resolve those issues. Yeah. And um, I think this is a really great instance of that. And it's kind of a continuation of this series that I've done where I did a few episodes on the Zodiac issue and talked to different people with different perspectives about that last summer. And this is an interesting continuation of that because it's another sort of facet of that saga about you know, one astrologer adopting a particular approach, taking it to an extreme, and then a lot of astrologers sort of calling him out on that and saying, you know, hey, either that's not right or hey, that doesn't actually um, represent us well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I think that's it for this discussion. What do you have coming up? Are you going to be at Norwalk this year? I will be at Norwalk. I will be at UAC. I'm doing my annual summer retreat at Brightonbush, um, brightonbush.com, B-R-E-I-T-E-N-B-U-S-H.com in July. And then I'm back to Bali for my seventh workshop, uh, week-long workshop retreat in Bali. And you can find out about that at heavenandearthworkshops.com, heavenandearthworkshops.com. That's in October in Bali. And that's a limited amount of people, and it will fill up. And I'm excited. I love Bali, and I'm glad to be going back. All right. Brilliant. That sounds awesome. And I'm looking forward to seeing you at UAC. And one of the things I wanted to mention is, you know, a lot of people listen to our forecast episodes each month, but you do, you know, your own amazing forecasts each month. And especially on your your YouTube channel, I've really been enjoying. Um, do you know what the URL is for that? Because people should probably check it out. Well, the easiest way to find it is to go to stariq.com and there's always a link to the current month. The YouTube channel is Rick Levine Astrologer. I mean, that's the, the channel. But, um, uh, yeah, that the YouTube thing has been getting anywhere for between 50 and 75,000 views a month. And it's, 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 it's hefty material. I mean, it's not for the lighthearted. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's been exciting to do in, and I'm looking at doing more video. Uh, I have a few things in mind, and so there'll be some some announcements there over the months ahead. All right. Brilliant. Cool. Well, I look forward to seeing you at, at UAC in May. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining me for this discussion. It was my well, – I wouldn't say it was my pleasure, but I think it was somewhere between my pleasure and my duty. And thanks for, you know, for digging deep on these subjects. Uh, you do an amazing job for the community. We appreciate you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, I, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'll have to have you back on the show again at another time to discuss a more lighthearted topic. Good. I, I'm in. All right, Chris. I'll see you soon. All right. Thanks. All right. And thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. <laughs>